Woof woof and namaste. This is Hill Dog and welcome to Kana Cast, a series of conversations with visitors and residents of Kana Shantivana, the International Center for Heartfulness. Today I will be speaking to Brigitte Smith. Brigitte Smith is an artist and a heartfulness meditation trainer and practitioner for over 45 years. She lives in Munich in Germany, but in the past has also lived and taught art in California, USA. Her artwork is deeply personal, spiritual, philosophical and mystical. She has also done a lot of artwork for Sahajmarg and Heartfulness, including many children's books, paintings of the Heartfulness guides and a book of illustrations of the Sahajmarg centers in India called Centers of Light. For those of you who don't know, heartfulness is a meditation technique that is offered for free by volunteer trainers around the world. It was earlier known by the name Sahajmarg or the natural path. One of the specialities of heartfulness is meditation with the transmission of a very subtle energy. It also includes a process of cleaning out samskaras. Samskaras are impressions and patterns that build up in our inner system and influence our behavior, tendencies and habits in ways we don't even know. Since there will be a lot of reference to heartfulness in this talk, let me just fill you in on the heartfulness guides. The first guide was Lalaji, then there was Babuji from 1983 to 2014, Chariji was the heartfulness guide, and uh, from 2014 to the present day, Daji has been the heartfulness guide. You will also hear the word master during this talk. Master refers to both the heartfulness guide as well as the inner master or the higher self that is within us and all around us. Practitioners of heartfulness meditation or Sahajmarg are called abhyasis and a heartfulness meditation session is called a sitting. Uh, now sister, you've been working in the visual medium for a very, very long time. And all your art is extremely heartfelt and spiritual. There is a very deep connection of the spirit within all your art. So this connection to spirituality in your own life, personally, when do you think it started? Uh, you mean when my journey started was in 1976. And in 77 I met Babuji. And um, I was there drawing also all the time. <laughs> he, he came over sometimes and looked over my paper and said, "Are you uh, creating again?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, the change into more spiritual content came much later. Um, I went to Shariji once uh, thirty years ago and said that I uh, have no more inspirations. My faucet is dry, I said. And he said, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> I said, how can you say wonderful? It's terrible. So then he became very sweet and serious and said, what you have done till now was reflecting on your samskars. And what you will do from now on, you will be reflecting your spiritual life. So that happened also, and I was very surprised because I didn't have control over it anymore. I was a servant of the path. Wow. That made me very happy. 
Wow. But, uh, I mean, I know this story because we have been associated a long time. But for people who do not know this story, uh, your journey started at that time when you met Babuji. But the calling of the Spirit was, of course, much earlier. Yes. And when was that really, sister? When I was in a Russian refugee camp, I was seven. And it was chaos, as you can imagine, 1945 in Germany. And what means chaos, people only know who have met chaos. So there I heard a voice as a little girl. It was around the death of my mother who died on the escape on typhoid fever. And the voice said, as long as you're a little girl, you have to be very unhappy. But when you are a grown-up woman, something special will happen to you and you will be very happy. So I kept this as my survival pack um, since I was, as a small child, experiencing violence on the escape from the Russians. I've seen people being shot. I have seen uh, chaos, as I had mentioned before, and what chaos means to people, Where, what chaos means that there is no law at all anymore just primitive survival. Though I was a child, I had seen it. So it grew in me that I would like to serve. But it became stronger when I was a teenager. I walked by accident into an ex exhibition of photography of concentration camps. And I had not known this. In that time, it was not taught in Germany. And now, yes, because the young German generation is looking at reality, but at that time, not. And I was so overwhelmed that I thought I disappear. That measurement of anti-life was so overwhelming. So that was a very strong point in me to look for self-education. And 31 years later, I was sitting in Munich after already quite a bit of living and mistake-making <laughs> in an information evening of Sajmark. And they explained to me about transmission and about cleaning. So I thought, wow, if this really works, I have to check if it really works. But if this really works, then it would be evolution. So then when I said this, I had a strange swirling movement inside the chest. And then I heard the last time, second time and last time, a voice. It's not my talent. I don't hear voices normally. And this voice was in English saying, that's it, I'm home. Wow. So when I, six months later, I went to see Babuji and I told him this because I wanted to have it verified because I don't like to make romantic stories about such a beautiful, serious path. So then he said, yes, yes. We prepare people before their birth. 
Wow. So that was his answer. That is incredible. And so um, you mentioned that you heard this voice in the refugee camp. Um, that was the first time you heard the voice. But before that, do you have memories of spending time with uh, family where talks of the spirit or talks of this quest came up? What was family life like before that, before all the chaos happened? Before the chaos, I had a wonderful uh, life. My father was an estate-owned uh, holder. He was an agriculturist. I had a very loving mother and a doting nanny. And the nanny was a very pious. So... Where was this sister? Where? It, it was in the east of Pomerania. My father had also um, the job to take care of the big estates around because the men were in war and it had been his profession. So I think the nanny was a very important person. She just died last year with 101. Wow. <laughs> and she was a very... Uh, a, a very a, a pious in a beautiful way. I think she was uh, an important uh, guide. And then this entire life was lost in a way. Yes. With the yes. violence that came. Yes. And my father found us through the Red Cross later. Because oh, you we, were separated. Yeah, because you see, it was a feudal system and so he could not leave his people alone. And the Nazi system did not permit the landholders to organize escapes. Otherwise, they would be shot, and they were shot often. So uh, he had to wait for the Nazi permission to organize the track. And he had organized it, pre-organized it. All the wagons were in front of the houses, but the horses were put on later. And so when the permission came, they uh, moved th three days towards the west, but it was too late. And the corridor was closed by the Russian army, so they had to return. And then he lived several months hidden in his own forest by his people helping him to get food. And then finally, after a year or so, I think, he um, met a Turkish-Russian commissioner. And since he talked Turkish from former life in Turkey as an agriculturist, it, was, it worked. <laughs> and this Turkish-Russian uh, gave him out, uh, travel papers so he could leave. And we had a... Jewish secretary all uh, the years, and we had, be, had been hiding her. So she also got the papers, and they both went to the West, and there he looked for us, but he couldn't find us. And then through the Red Cross, he found us. So who was with you? Your siblings were with you? The, 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 my father, my brother was four, I was seven, and in this year, the people where um, my mother had found a room to stay. They kept us and they informed the Red Cross. Wow. And where was your mother during this time? She died there. She she was with us and she got typhoid fever and my little brother too. I had had typhoid fever before, so I was immune. And so they picked, there was an epidemic of typhoid and in that time there was no penicillin. So I last time I saw her when she was put on an open truck with a little boy. 
Yeah. So this calling, of course, was there with that voice and with the nanny's influence, who was very pious. What about art? Where did the calling of art start? Apparently, I was asked when I was three years old, what do you want to do? And I said, to draw. Wow. It was uh, always, I, I didn't think of, I, for me, it was translation of thought, translation of feelings, and later translation of prayer. Art is a, a transporter. Like in music, as dance, as sculpture, everywhere, it's a transporter. So the more I became um, um, interiorized, the more the transport became a, a, a a point of joy for me and service also. So I can't, I can't um, demand the paintings after Chariji put me on the right road. <laughs> I have to wait till they come. So it's first I was a little uneasy because I I was used to have control. So then I understood. Okay, I don't have control. <laughs> I do have control over the quality but not so much over the subject that is appearing, which in time, of course, made me very, very happy because I, this type of servants, service is wonderful. Wow. Thank wow. you. Because it's very uh, easy in the art world also. You see a lot of art is very ego-driven. Mm-hmm. You know, and the self is kind of imposed on it. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody signs their art. It's it's you. You mm-hmm. have made the art. Mm-hmm. It's in a it's in a sense taking the job of the creator. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yes, there is. Do you find that it's a danger for young people starting out in art to get? Sure. I mean, I notice that um, people uh, give me good words about my paintings, and but it doesn't influence my heartbeat because I have just done it because I was told to do it. Wow. So, but um, of course, for earlier, before this transition happened, of course, I was happy if I was accepted by society. But I was never really accepted by society with my art because I was a little strange for the normal German uh, art consciousness. And now, strangely enough, I, the ti- I grew into the time. Yeah? Yes. I'm not yes. so strange anymore for them. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't bother me. Wonderful. Wonderful. But is there any difficulty, like you said, you... Uh, you receive this, uh, you know, um, what to do in art. But people also experience, you know, I mean, writers experience writer's block where they just don't get the inspiration. Does that ever happen to an artist? No, you see, I have, there are other things I can do. I love animal pictures, nature pictures. They are outside of the demand. And and then I have been an illustrator before uh, for 200 children books. So, I mean, 
I have never a problem not to know what to do. Mm-hmm. But when the special paintings come, then I just have to accept that they come or, wow. they, or not come. Wow. So coming back to your journey with uh, Sahaj Mark, uh, you met Babuji and uh, I, I am guessing you must have explored other ways to, um, to quench the uh, quest of the spirit earlier, other systems. How did you choose that this is the one? I never entered any other system because I was very much um, looking for a path because I have three daughters. I wanted, I understood before uh, our path, I understood that I have to find a way to educate myself because I didn't want to put my daughters into the same system of brain stuff which I inherited from my family. That I knew. I didn't know about samskaras, <laughs> but I knew that uh, I need to do something to, uh, to give them a more a better freedom. So I did look for meditation, but I never entered anything because I saw so many other systems from afar having to do with fame, with money, with bells, with flowers, with whatever stuff. And I didn't want any any decorative stuff. I didn't want any ritual stuff. I wanted just a clean work. And when I listened to this first information evening of Sarge Mark, I thought, this is clean. Uh, but I have to check if it is like this. <laughs> so can you tell us, you came to India, when did you come to India in the first meeting with Babaji? Can you tell us when that happened? So it's, um, I was introduced to, into Sarge Mark on the 9th of September, 76 in Munich and on February 77 five of us went to Shashahampur first time to India on the 9th of March 77 I became already a preceptor so when we entered in the dark after the long train ride and you must imagine another India at that time of course sure with a rickshaw in the dark, passed by many little fires where people made chai. It was like a medieval view for me. And then we entered this lane and everything was pitch black and we looked through a gate and in the back there were arcades and under the arcades one little 40 watt bulb was dangling. And then people came but it was dark and their skin was dark so I only saw the white lungis approaching so there was a number of lungis standing in front of us and my whole being shook and inside of myself I did this to one of these lungis then they brought the torch and then it had been Babuji so when I, exp- I experienced for the, for the first time a totally different measurement of existence. Uh, that a, a human being can be such a human being changed the measurement of life. 
it it changed the measurement of hope. It changed the measurement of everything to meet such a unlimited source of life. And in his presence, I think we got the gift of experiencing our essence as well, because it was a gift of his presence. One needs many years, I think, to work, to be able to feel one's essence. So when I experienced this presence, I said to myself, this here is home, and I will never leave it. How beautiful. How beautiful. And then, of course, a beautiful journey just unfolded. You kept coming back to India. Yeah, this is my 50th journey. Wow. 50th time in India. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. And, of course, your... Uh, you were made a preceptor, a trainer, and you started training people, and you had many travels in India. And then there was the transition, 1983. How was the fact that Babuji, somebody who you had looked to, was no more in his physical body? How was that time for you? Yeah, first I thought I will implode, or explode, or stop living. And then I thought he gave this as an order. So I decided to go already in 84 to India and meet Chariji. I had met him before as a preceptor, but not as a successor. So when I went, met him in Gayatri, He walked towards us and greeted us, and I saw, oh, now he's all alone. And I saw a, a mantle of stars around him. Then he gave us two sittings. In the, in the sitting, I prayed to Babuji, and I said, I have been here in obedience to your demand, but I, my, my soul needs help. So in the first sitting, I saw Babuji curled up inside of uh, Shariji in a totally happy mood, very beautifully happy mood sitting. In the second sitting, I saw Babuji coming out of Shariji's head with a kurta a cap and the braid of flowers. So I wrote this down as on a paper and I gave it to Shariji. This is the experience. And herewith I give you my service and my obedience. So I, for me it was always, and it took me years till I could say master, but when he became more masterly in his development, it happened automatically. But it, for me, it always was the son of 
uh, Babuji. I mean, Babuji is the the simple. Yeah, Babuji is Babuji. <laughs> he is the creator uh, with Laloji together. So that's how I became uh, an active member of the mission and continued later with Daji. Because I, I feel their sunness. Wow. wow. And of course, not just the masters, you've also met lots of heartfulness practitioners because you did a book of uh, the centers of light, which was ashrams across India, you know, uh, Sahaja Mark centers across India. And that took you to all corners of India with uh, sometimes very adventurous, to put it mildly, experiences. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, how was that meeting the people? Also, mostly in the poor and small ashrams. It was more heartful than in the big established ashrams, which is, yeah, probably human. <laughs> But um, I remember also some ashrams where they didn't even speak English. It was wonderful. So, and of course I had to interact because they had to build a little house over my brain all the time because I had to sit in the sun to do the watercolor for five, six hours. So it, it was wonderful experiences journey from Assam to Madurai and clear across. But yeah, I think we have to always be careful if we are a long time in the mission, if we are so-called established, to remain innocent with each other. We were just now in Ajanta, for three days, four days. And there again, I was so moved by the innocence of heartfulness and, and hospitality that warmed me very much. So it was the small, the unknown, which were the most impressive for me. Wow. And you have seen... Uh Sehajmar grow from that street where you walked in late night and you found Babuji standing in the courtyard to this campus here today, Kana Shantivanam, which is a huge campus. Uh, how, how do you see the change? How do you see the growth? Yeah, I think one should not be misled with outer advancement. That's very important because it's deeply moving, deeply, deeply moving, that Daji is creating like something like a laboratory for the future. I mean, if I think about it, I could cry. It is, it is so clean and so multifaceted but one has to always remember the simple thing is the divine and me. 
and my search and my uh, sincerity, but that he is um, capable, unbelievable, that he's capable of that the nature is is blooming, that that the capacity of people's uh, uh, people are advancing, that education is working, that uh, research is working, that is uh, it's so so very wonderful. And one very important point: two and a half years ago, when I was here, when the ashram was uh, built, I saw many 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 workers from all over India, laborers. And one important point happened. I saw, you see, through human existence on the planet, it was always the main boss, the in-between, the couple who gave the work to the third one, and the third one, the poor guy who paid the price of blood, right? Since always. Here I saw it works different. It, it works different. I talk to many laborers also. It, here, the, the third one, the little one, is not misused. Because the couple who has to give him work has to do his cleaning and he has to be responsible for the big boss. It is fantastic. That what has never happened yet on the planet is possible. That's why I said it's a laboratory for the future. Wow, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful definition of Kana. And I think it's a great reminder also that uh, to keep the inner connection yes. while all this outer expansion. That's the central. I wanted to ask you, Brigitte, also that you've been so devoted to the practice of Sahajmak and uh, you've devoted so much time to it. A lot of people today have difficulty explaining this uh, devotion of time because there are so many demands on our time, right? Yes. And uh, family is one. Yes. And uh, not all of your family were into the practice. No, so, none. So how did you balance that? Did they ever feel neglected? Um, they wonder why Mama is so crazy to give all her artwork for nothing. <laughs> At, I told them there is another computer up there which I, we don't know the logic of it. So in the time, now I'm 84, so they learned, they, though they're not Abhyasis, but they're wonderful people, my daughters, they learned that she's okay and she's happy. They say, Mama, I mean, if we wouldn't know that you do your meditation, we think you are on cocaine. <laughs> because of of my joy yeah, maybe spiritual cooking <laughs> <laughs> so you see the surrounding had difficulties for a while and in former times I only came to India shortly because of the children never that long but of course they reacted uh, in thinking for a while in growing up do we lose her or not? But uh, it settled down and 
they are fine and we are fine with each other. But there is a slight thing in them, I think, that they think they are a little crazy, she <laughs> is probably. And what about your late husband, Richard? How supportive was he? He was a philosopher himself. He yes. Was a saintly. I think he was uh, a little jealous <laughs> because I was not his disciple. <laughs> and that's fine. Was healthy for him. <laughs> So in all your years of engaging with the mission and keeping, uh, you know, seeing it grow, seeing more and more people come in, if you had to give youngsters starting out or who are on a spiritual quest and have discovered uh, heartfulness, what is the most important thing in this practice? What should they not lose sight of? The main thing is you... Your prayer, your devotion, your cleaning, you and yourself and your divine. So whatever job you have or whatever uh, profession, or it, it's very important to be in this very basic center. Otherwise you lose yourself in, in becoming a somebody important, so to say, which has no, no value at all. So you have to... You see, we were given, each of us are given a certain job to do in our incarnation. And like Plotinus also said, this Greek philosopher, it has a reason to fill it with the divine, whatever job you have. It can be a pharmacist, a doctor, whatever, a gardener, a shoemaker, whatever. You just do your job, but you fill it with your divine love. This is the main thing. So important is, I think, when people come, that they don't become important as functionaries, because then it spoils. Absolutely. Absolutely, that's so That's so true. And for the rest of the world, the future, I mean, you, in your childhood, you faced great tumult. There are tumultuous times even now. We had the COVID pandemic, which was something that the world had never seen. There, you know, do you look to the future with optimism? Or do you, where do you see the future of the world going? You, you are exposed to both the West and the East. You travel... Uh, between both uh, West and East. So where do you think the world is headed? I think if these high divinities like Lord Krishna and, and all the other avatars, you think they work for nothing? Uh -uh. It has a big plan. I might not know it, but I think God, it, like Rilke once said, God wants to acknowledge himself through the, uh, experiencing us thinking of him. So I think it is a huge reason, a very huge reason, that this universe becomes conscious, the little bit we know. But I think it is a much bigger plan than our little wars down here. 
Yes, yes. I mean, uh, we give ourselves a lot of uh, importance and credit as the human race, as the most advanced race on the planet. But I think uh, we don't even know ourselves yet. So, what do we know? What do we know? Yes. Thank you so much, dear sister. It was wonderful. It was wonderful sitting down and talking to you. Um, we could talk for hours. We could go on about incidents here because you have. I, I am. I am. Uh, you know. I am privy to lots of stuff because we've been associated since 1986 when I was a little 85. boy. 85. 85. When I was a little boy, you saw. <laughs> <laughs> so there are so many things to talk about, but it's wonderful. Thank I, you, Odi. It was really lovely. Thank you, sister. So that was my conversation with my dear sister Brigitte. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. To hear more such conversations, please subscribe to this channel, and also you can find us on Spotify on the Kana Cast channel. That is K A N H A C A S T. Thank you for listening. This is Hilldog signing off. Woof woof.